What's the first year seminar that you teach? Chemistry of biomedical implants. And is I, that what you teach uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle repair? I teach repair? the same novels in how do you, both. How do you use that in that freshman seminar? Yeah, so I, I think it's important for students, particularly incoming students, to a university to understand the process of being uh, hungry for new knowledge and engaged with what they're doing and to question things along the way. And I think right. that book really shows the importance of that and how you can really experience life to the fullest by thinking. So it's, I think it's hard. I, I catch myself, right, whenever I have free time looking at my phone right. instead of you know, daydreaming. Welcome to the IEH Podcast, where we profile fellows of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities here at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth, Coordinator for Faculty Programs. In this episode, I speak with Mark Schoenfish, Professor of Chemistry and Chapman Teaching Award recipient. In our conversation, Professor Schoenfish explains how his research on nitric oxide can help the medical field save lives. He also describes his efforts to engage undergraduates in entry-level chemistry courses in part by allowing and encouraging his students to make mistakes. And regarding the intro to the podcast, the correct title of the book Dr. Schoenfish and I were discussing is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Pertzik. On to the conversation. I've been reading this book, and it's on the fact that um, graduate students, like there's not really good training for graduate students or professional training. Right. Yeah. So if just talking about that, you just mentioned mentoring graduate students. What's your kind of philosophy on, on doing that? Well, I like to give my graduate students some real-world opportunities beyond what their dissertation project involves. So with my students, they are involved not only with research projects that will help them towards degree, but also mentoring of undergraduate students. Every student, every graduate student that I have has to at least mentor one undergraduate while they're in the program, and they're a little shy at first about mm -hmm. doing that because they've really not ever been in a managerial role, but over time they really start to enjoy it, and the feedback I've gotten when they graduate and go away and reach out later on uh, is that that was one of the most important features of their graduate dissertation because what they're doing now, whether it's an industry or if they're a college professor, is mentoring right. other students. Yeah. And it, it also gives undergraduates a yeah. better experience. I was about to ask and, the same thing. Yeah. That's sort of how I got into it. I mean, I liked chemistry. It was hard. I didn't see myself pursuing a career in it, but once, based on the classes, right, based right. on what's in a textbook, and even the labs are fairly archaic, the undergraduate labs that you take basically involve either, you know, cookbook chemistry, mm -hmm. uh, or you follow directions and come up with um, something you've synthesized or weighed out or, or run on an instrument, but unless you really have some practical experience, you can't connect the dots, and right. for me... Once I started doing undergraduate research with a graduate student mentor in, a, in someone's research group, it started to kind of connect what chemists get to do. And I kind of like to pay it forward because without that experience, I would have never pursued my career path. Yeah, and so in your lab, you work with nitric oxide. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that the main focus? Yeah, or? I'd say that's the central focus. Now, we make nitric oxide in our bodies, correct? Mm -hmm. And what does that do for our bodies? Yeah, so... 
there's a lot of physiological roles of, of nitric okay. oxide. And so Pretty the, diverse. the most famous one uh, is it's uh, derived in the endothelium. So our endothelial cells produce NO, okay. and that relaxes our muscle cells around our blood arteries. Mm-hmm. And so that's one way to regulate blood pressure. Oh, so okay. as your artery dilates due to the NO, that allows... Um, that physiology to occur. It's also involved in fighting in our immune response to pathogens, so Mm -hmm. bacteria infection, for example. Your body upregulates nitric oxide because NO is a potent antibacterial agent, so it can be used to kill bacteria cells. And it's that particular avenue that we're really interested in. So we're interested in measuring NO as the immune response upregulates in response to pathogens as perhaps a tool to detect sepsis, a blood infection, earlier, right. and that would help save lives yeah. in critical care situations. So we are working with clinicians mm-hmm. who are interested in monitoring NO levels in blood, and we have to make the device simple to use and uh, often disposable, for example, if it's going to be a blood-type application. These clinicians are, are interested in our technology because, again, it's fast, it's simple, and they can get a result very quickly, and hopefully that result means something and they can, it, it might guide their decisions on, on a patient. You mentioned that you want to bring these real-world applications to even introductory chemistry mm-hmm. courses. Mm-hmm. Are you able to do that personally? Like, well, this is what I'm working on, and yeah, do you I think, try to do that? Or, or yeah, how does that's that work the easiest in? way to do it. Yeah. Um, I try at least one lecture out of, out of the many that I give in a given semester to spend that on sort of my story. Yeah, so you won the Chapman Teaching Award, mm-hmm. and so I'd like to ask you a few questions about your teaching philosophy uh, in terms of... We'll say maybe in these introductory classes, what, how do you approach these classes and how do you view teaching chemistry or disseminating that knowledge to students? Yeah, so I think I have really two um, main thoughts around that. The first is I really think in an introductory class you have to engage the students and show them the big picture as to why chemistry is important and exciting. And oftentimes we get bogged down with the details in these intro courses, Mm -hmm. and students don't really appreciate that, and they don't see how it's real world, and they don't see how they can relate to it, and they get disinterested, or and and that disinterest results in either poor performance or they get out. So I try to bring some of my own research experiences into the classroom, but just general discussions of topics that are current and as a goal to kind of engage them and and make them uh, kind of excited about the process that they're going through. Even though we're not going to talk about real-world experiences in a lot of detail, Mm -hmm. you have to get through this basic chemistry first in order to be an active participant in in the subsequent good stuff that comes. (laughs) Um, And so I think uh, that's one of the important features. I think a second is that mistakes are good and expected. I have a very interesting grading policy in that I encourage students to make mistakes. And and in a large lecture, when I teach the large lecture classes, there's three exams and a final, um, and that consists of their grades. And if they do poorly on an exam, it tells them one of two things. Either they weren't prepared or they don't understand. Either one is fine, but they should then work to to come up to speed and and 
in other classes, there's no opportunity for that, right? You right. do poorly on an exam, that's one mark against you, you go for it in the second exam and the third exam and the final exam is usually counts for a little bit more. But I entice them to learn and I say that if you do well or better on that portion of material on the final exam, we'll disregard that first exam. Oh, wow. I, I think it's important to make mistakes. We all make them and I think to learn from them is really a key feature of education and, and maturing. Did you always have this um, kind of exam policy like that, or was it something you developed later? Yeah. And the reason I ask is to see if you have seen results, like positive results in changing that yeah. philosophy and test taking. I don't have any quantitative um, metrics to know right. that it, it's been positive. I didn't have the test policy early on. Um, I think I use more of a classical approach to grading early on, but then I realized a lot of students were disgruntled or or just gave up because they didn't see any hope for yeah. improving their grade. Okay. And so I wanted people to continue working even if they got a poor grade, and that's when I came up with this alternative policy. And I kind of stole it from some of my colleagues who would allow students to replace one of the three exams oh, okay. if they mm-hmm. scored better on, on the final. And then but I really stress the importance to the students that, hey, it's okay to make mistakes. If you've made a mistake, um, learn from it. And yeah. I think in the evaluations that I get, that's the feedback that's really important because there's a lot of, of positive uh, vibes that students give about that in that they're really appreciative of the chance to do well in a course even at the very end. Yeah, I don't like to share this with a lot of people, but the only C's I ever got as an undergraduate, we're in chemistry. Oh, really? And so I think well, there's great. something to yeah. say about that. Yeah. Like, if you, <laughs> you know, there's still hope. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Check back at the IAH for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. Check out past and future episodes of this podcast on our website or subscribe to the IAH podcast on iTunes to download episodes automatically to your computer or mobile device. You can also like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.